we just had the greatest evangelist in history uh, go to be with Jesus this week. And I'm sure that any of us in this place, I certainly would be one who would like to be someone who had the kind of influence Billy Graham had to bring people to Jesus Christ. And um, uh, But here, here's one thing you need to understand about the gospel. I, I want to talk to you right now about how a way you can really get involved in being an evangelist. Uh, remember, when it comes to preaching the gospel, from the beginning of time, it's involved people gathering together in a synagogue, um, in, in a home, or on a hillside to hear someone, whether it was one of the apostles or the disciples, uh, or Jesus himself, teach the principles that are life-changing. And that's the way it's been. And throughout history, for all kinds of truth, we gather in places uh, lecture halls, classrooms, uh, churches, stadiums. We have to, but we have to know where to show up. We have to know where to show up in order to show up. We have to know where to get our friends to show up to hear that presentation of the gospel. And I'm telling you, people want the message of hope that the church offers today. People want, they're hungry, they're really starving, they're hungry for truth. There's a lot of stuff being said out there in the culture about how we can have a better world that are just wrong, that just don't work. They create more problems than they solve. And that some of these doctrines that are being taught today are just deadly. They're just dangerous, some of, some of these solutions that are being offered to make our world a better place. We have the gospel. We have the good news right here in this building. We've got it. And... Uh, you know, just last week, I don't know if uh, Ron and Phyllis are here today. I think they said they weren't going to make it back today, but they were our guests last week. And Ron lives right in Bellingham, and he didn't know this church was here. He's lived there for years, and he didn't know this church was here. So we got to fix that, guys. We got to fix that. We got to fix that. And we can, and I know you want to. And so here, here's a very, very simple way you can do it. God, you know, the past cultures didn't have this. We have, We have this thing that God wants to use, and it's called Facebook. And it's a way that everybody can get involved in preaching the gospel. Everybody can get involved. Uh, I was involved in Billy Graham Crusade years ago, and they were so, they were so well organized. And th they didn't have social media like we do today. What a wonderful tool. And so I'm going to ask you to become a Facebook evangelist. I mean that with all my heart, and I, I, I really, really mean that. We've got two great events coming up, and I'm going to ask you to go on Facebook this week and next week and the next and share these events on your page. And uh, uh, the first one is our, we're going to have two Easter services. It's called The theme is Love Rising, and we're, you... you let me just ask you guys, you, 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 you know our band and you know the people that we have and the video videographers that we have and, and all the stuff we have. I mean, do you think it would be a blessing to your friends and family? Do you think they would come and go, that, that stunk? <laughs> that, or do you think they would come and go, why, maybe this church thing is it's different than I thought. It's, I thought it was going to be boring. I thought it was going to be dry. But really, they're... We have, we have never had, and we just haven't had people come by here 
and, lay, and, and tell us I didn't like it. We've had the opposite. We've had the opposite. So, you know, this was really special. And so I want you to help me out. We have two Easter services, 9.15 and 11.15. And we know that God wants, he, he said that my house may be full. He wants both services to be packed with people that need to know Jesus Christ is their Savior. People that need to know that the Word of God has answers for their life. Um, I, I'm, we can have at least 100 shares this week. How many will do that? Raise your hand. Okay. We have one more event that's coming up that I want you to get it on Facebook. And the other, if you do Twitter, do Twitter as well. But I think most more people do Facebook than Twitter. The other is uh, the character coach and chaplain of the New England Patriots is coming back to preach for us. Jack Easterby. Jack is a great preacher, a great man. And so Jack's going to come back and... Uh, uh, pre he preached for us last year. He's just a he's just an awesome preacher, and a, and a really really he's a man of God. He's not he's not just some rah rah motivational guy. He's going to preach the gospel. And of course, uh, you know how people are about sports around here, and and so invite your friends that are interested in sports and and that want to meet Jack. And uh, the last time he came, Josh McDaniels came, the offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots came, and. Several other personnel from the team came. We can't promise they're going to show up, but uh, they might get a chance to meet uh, some players and some coaches, and who knows. But And we're just privileged. Jack doesn't go to very many places. He doesn't go to very many places to preach. We're one of the few places that he goes. And so we just got this. God just gave us this connection, and because I'm so charismatic, and uh, uh, God gave us this connection. And uh, so... I'm I'm excited. Hey, we're get. Uh, uh, I'm going to move on today from that, but I'll be I'll be talking to you more about that. And uh, I joked around on Facebook yesterday, and I promised special dispensation of blessing for the first ten people who would post my sermon the, the, the series. And uh, and that, uh, did you guys have an amazing day? Did you have an amazing day, Jim? I, I thought you would. <laughs> Anybody else get, get the blessing of the uh, Bethany Papal blessing? How did it work? Did it work out? It was great. So uh, I, this week I'm going to give 100 blessings to those who share. <laughs> We're going to start a new series today. Uh, I'm really excited about it um, because I, I just, I want the Christian life. I, I want to live forever with God. And I want to go to heaven, wherever it is, whatever heaven is about, I want to go there. And, and, and definitely. But I, I don't want to just go to heaven. I want to enjoy the trip. You know, I want, I want to, I, the, the, I believe when the Bible says we receive eternal life, we receive it now. We receive eternal life now. And also, I believe that the key to entering into the life of Jesus is to imitate the life of Jesus. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, the series is called Imitation. We're going to talk about imitating the life of Jesus. And I can understand you probably have some objections to that. Uh, you, you probably have some questions about that. Imitate. I thought, I thought it was just going to be transformation. I would receive Christ and I'd immediately start loving everybody. You know, and immediately all my bad habits would just go away immediately. Well, there's a, some of that does happen, by the way. There is a supernatural element to becoming a Christ follower. And I've seen people have all kinds of stuff just drop off of their life 
the first time they pray the prayer to receive Christ. I've seen that there's a supernatural side, but there's also a, well, I guess I could call it a cognitive side. It's a learning side, a developmental side. And it's all over the scripture. It's all over the scriptures. It's like, it's like an obsession in the New Testament is putting forth effort to be like Christ. I'm not going to I'm not going to talk a, a lot about effort today because that's kind of a whole other subject. Because uh, and and that's kind of problematic to some folks to to think about. Well, I, I have to try. I have to put forth effort. Then uh, I I don't know if that is, that's not grace if I have to try. But we're going to try to clear some of that up over the next uh, few weeks. Uh, but imitation. We're going to talk about imitating and how that can work for us. Imitation is not only the serious sincerest form of flattery. It's also the best path to greatness. Shane and Kyle for the that great video. <laughs> Philippians 3.10 is our jumping off point. <clears throat> really, you, you, wanna, you ought to go home today and read chapter 2. And, and it will, will, will affirm that what Paul is talking about here is not just something in the sweet by and by. But it's a present knowing becoming now. It says in 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I said this in a little blurb we created, do you dare believe that when Jesus said, I am the way, he's inviting you to his way of being? his way of rising above the evil and the chaos in this world, and that his way is attainable, delightful, healthy, and functional. I say that his way is attractive, attainable, and reasonable. Three words begin Paul's appeal to the Philippians in chapter 3 there. I want to. Those are powerful words. I want to. Not I have to, not I should, uh, if I know what's best for me. No, I want to. That, that's the powerful words that, that every counselor wants to hear from his counselee. I want to change. I want to be different. I want to get control of my life. I want to get free of this addiction. I want to become something different. It's critical that we get our want to, wanting to. Right? So, Paul said, I want to. Becoming like him is what he wanted. Paul and the apostles weren't swept up in a, some popular social trend. You know, Christ wasn't trending on Twitter. In the first century. 
on the opposite. Christ wasn't getting very many likes in those days. The opposite was happening. They weren't weren't caught up in some psychological wish fulfillment. Because, Because wish fulfillment... Is is would not include suffering. If I was going to have a if I was going to have a wish fulfillment, I would oh I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Period. I would never say I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of suffering. No one wishes for suffering, so it could not be a wish fulfillment. Paul and the early apostles had found the way. They had found the way to blessing. They had found the way to the best life possible here and later. They had found the way to be. They had found the way that created the best opportunity for social justice in the world that they lived in and fairness and equity and deliverance from evil. They had found the best way out of chaos and the best way to have order was the person of Christ. Becoming like him wasn't a religious burden imposed on them by the synagogue, but it was a solution offered by the example of Jesus Christ. Examples are very powerful things. When I was a young boy, uh, my mother, uh, she was so awesome, and, and my dad too. They were just awesome in how that they really sacrificed to, tr- uh, to try to give us the opportunity to be the best we could be. They, they, they weren't um, uh, uh, wealthy people by any stretch. and uh, My dad had a college degree, but they weren't, uh, uh, certainly weren't intellectual people. But, they, but they, tried to op- they tried to open up the world to us, you know. And one of the things that my mother thought would be helpful would be piano lessons. So she sent my brother and I to piano lessons. And uh, I remember, it, it, you, gotta, you, gotta, you can't appreciate this when you, if you knew the income that they had and, and how big of a sacrifice this was to, to have piano lessons for us. I, my mother would take in people's ironing to, to make money. I remember she bought me a piano that way. And, uh, and that's, that's where it was. It was uh, a little bit, a bit meager, I think, <laughs> what I, the way I grew up. And... Uh, but, but my mother decided we needed piano lessons to expand our, our brains, I guess, and, and, and create opportunities for us. And so we would get in this taxi and we'd drive way out in the country to, like, it was a house that Herman Munster would have loved. <laughs> you know, it, it was the Adams family. I mean, and uh, this very elderly woman taught piano lessons there. And my brother and I just hated it. You know, so we... We would we would tell the taxi driver we would go. Do you need to pick up someone else? You know, just pick up as many many people as you need to. Okay, and uh, excuse me. So, uh, piano. I, I was like on the way to uh, becoming a, a musical illiterate, <laughs> which I managed that anyway. But. Uh, but I did eventually play the piano. In fact, it was a big part of my life early and a big part of what I used to do. But it wasn't the dear elderly woman in the country who did it. It was my, my another thing my mother and dad would do is we'd, we were a small kind of country church, but my mother would make sure we went to Dallas and we went to the big church, Oak Cliff Assembly of God, and we saw the big preachers the big guy. And so I remember my parents took me 
to see a guy that is now kind of infamous and, and, and got himself into trouble, and, but his name was Jimmy Swaggart. He's, he's, his cousin is Jerry Lee Lewis and Mickey Gilley, you know. And uh, my, my mother and dad took me there, and I saw him play the piano. And he played like Jerry Lee, and he rocked the house. And I said, Dad, first of all, that looks like a real guy up there. That's a real man, you know. And that's, that's how I want to play. That, that fascinated me, the way he played the piano. I like that. That attracted me. And... Uh, uh, we, we, you know, both families, my Matson family, McCutcheon family, both musical. You know, we, we McCutcheon family is a little different, though. A little different. We, we, our, our type of music is the kind uh, with most of you won't appreciate this, except you probably saw it in the movies where there's sawdust on the floor and chicken wire in front of the in front of the stage. That's kind of more what McCutcheons are into. <laughs> but if you don't know, chicken wire is to stop the beer bottles. So that's kind of the, our appetite. That was our taste in music. Well, you know, you're from Memphis. You're from Memphis, Tennessee, Mom, so you know that, that kind of music. And I would take Jimmy Swaggart's. Remember, anybody ever saw a see a record? A vinyl? Anybody know what that is? Okay. I would take his records, and, and by this time we had a piano, and I would take and I'd put the needle on, and he would go... And, and I would I would go over the piano, I would try it, and I, I would listen to it fifty times until I could do everything that Jimmy Swagger did. And so I learned how to play that way, and it served me well as I went around. A young preacher went around, sang and preached in all these uh, churches across the United States, and went to Europe, and I did two military base tours and played the piano and sang. I was a I was your low-budget Jimmy Swagger. <laughs> I remember one time I went to a camp meeting and Jimmy Swagger was the speaker. And I'm walking along and he, there he is right in front of me. And I'm, I'm this tall. You know, ah, Jimmy Swagger. And he goes, son, he's that deep voice, can you go over there and get me my coat? And I couldn't move. I was too frightened. My dad was over my shoulder, and dad rescued me, and dad went and got Jimmy Swagger's coat. I could have gotten Jimmy Swagger's coat, and I, screw, I messed up. You know, I totally couldn't do it. You see, imitating Jesus, imitation is the way you become like him. You take his record. Well, that's how Jesus does it. That's how he loves people. That's how he forgives that's how he speaks truth. That's how he doesn't back down. But he's bold and he's courageous and he's brave. That's how, oh, that's how you suffer. Ah, oh, I never knew how to suffer. That's how you suffer. Just like I would take those records and I would listen to Jimmy Swagger. And there was other, other people that I imitated as well. Some of you know Floyd Kramer. I love Floyd Kramer's music. I would listen to Floyd Kramer. We couldn't have too many of his records, though, because he was worldly. <laughs> I think we had one of his. My mother didn't have to make me listen to Jimmy Swagger to practice piano. And 
In, in, in fact, in spite of my brother's screaming, stop banging on that piano, I persisted. In fact, that made it more fun. See, we, we know we're made to be something more. That's why it's attractive. Imitating Jesus is attractive because we know we know something deep within us, in spite of how poor your self-esteem might be to here today, and that your self-esteem may be damaged by what is happening to you in life, something inside of you says, I know I can do better. I know I can do better than this. And that's, that's why we bristle when somebody disrespects us. And the reason we get embittered when someone abuses us is because we know we're made for more than that. We know we have a divine spark in us. We instinctively know that we're sons and daughters of God. Way back in the book of Psalms, David said, you are gods in little g, of course, not big g, little g. You are all sons of God. Of course, this doesn't mean we're all powerful as God is, but it means that we are shaped identical to God, which means we are created to take dominion over things. We're created to take dominion over darkness and chaos around us. It means we're created. You can take the seven days of creation and you can lay them out, and that's what you're designed to do. You're, you're, designed, you're designed to bring light. You're designed to bring understanding and light to things. You're designed to create environments where people can be happy and where they can grow. You're going to find that out, Jay, as you have a kid and you have a family. You're going to enjoy feeling like God. You're going to enjoy feeling like Jesus and the one who can create an environment for that little girl that she can be happy in and flourish in. It's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. That's the God shape that we are in. We're, we're shaped like God. You're not shaped like Lucifer to, to destroy and take things apart. You're shaped like God to bring order and beauty and to create environments that make things happy. You're, you're created, you, you, you love and you want to, to put the places you inhabit in order. You can find that and I won't take the time to go through Genesis 1 very carefully, but you look it up yourself. You're, you're designed to put the places that you inhabit in order. You're designed to create things that can grow on their own. It, it's, it's amazing. And, 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 and you do it all the time. Most of you do it. You create something, you leave it, and you go do something else, and you go back and you see that that thing you created, is, 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 it's its own thing. It's flourishing up by itself. It's happening by itself. You don't even have to be there and superintendent. That's what God did. And, 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 and you see it, those of you who build companies and those of you who, who, who build things, you see that it just starts to happen on its own. We're created to that. We're, we're created to, to separate light from darkness. We're created to say, that's right and that's wrong. You're created with that to say, that's not right. They shouldn't be doing that. Oh, that's wonderful. They should be doing it. We're created to make things we're involved in. One of the things I love about creation is I see there's this day when God creates all these wild animals, undomesticated animals, just to fly around. You know what I think that was? I think that God was saying, I'm, today I want to make things interesting. Today, I want to make things just weird and, 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 and wild. And you're created like that too. You're created to, you, you know, I, I, could, I could get up here and just read a script to you of the same truth that I'm motivated by the God shape that I'm in. I'm motivated to try to make it interesting. So I'll tell some goofy story about going out in the country 
to the Munster household learning to, trying to learn to play the piano. I'll tell some goofy story like that because it's more interesting than somebody just reading the script to you. That's how you're created. You're created to make videos that are interesting instead of just saying, uh, don't forget the Easter service. Come to the Easter service. Some people do that, yes. But they haven't tapped into the divine spark that's in them. The divine spark that's in them makes you want to be creative it makes things interesting. It makes things beautiful. It makes things happy. That's what you're created. We're, you know, and finally, finally, we are to be good humans who produce other good humans. And, you know, Jay and Mary doing the, you know, they're producing a human physically. But it's not just physical, man. It's spiritual. It's spiritual that you, you, you're motivated to be a good human who produces other good humans. And, and this is... Think about Apostle Paul, who's, who gave us our text today. Talk about, but let's, Paul was a person who moved from a person who created, he knew he was supposed to set things in order. He knew that. That was the God shape that he had. He knew he was supposed to set things in order, but he didn't know how to do it till he met Jesus. Before he met Jesus, his way of setting things in order was to go beating people up and killing them. He wanted to make set the world right. This wasn't right. He didn't feel the world was right. So he tried to set the world right by going around and creating chaos. But after Paul met Jesus and he began to follow Christ, what a transformation. What a transformation. As Paul began to do things like address the Corinthians when they were not serving the poor people, when they were leaving the poor people and the marginalized people out of the church fellowship dinner and they were going home hungry, Paul imposed justice. He appealed to them. He didn't go kill anybody. He didn't go to destroy anybody, but he appealed to them. And he, no doubt in my mind, he created justice in that church and he made that church a better place. And we see that over and over in the life of Paul where he, people would be fighting and he would tell those two women in Philippi and later on in the book of Philippians, he would tell those two women that they need to get along with each other and he would give them good counsel about getting along. He began to create order in people's lives as he began to imitate Jesus before he wanted to make the world right, but, but he didn't. he was reading the wrong book. He was, following the, he was following the God of this world, which was Satan, that says that when, he, when you may want to make something right, you've got to do it by force, and you've got to do it with anger, and you've got to do it with ridicule, and you've got to do it all these wrong ways. But when you start to follow Jesus, Jesus shows you the right way to set your world in order. Jesus shows you the right way to get justice done. Jesus shows you the right way. It's, it happens. Look at what God has done through our church. Look at what God has done that you are all a part of, that every week, go to, the, go to the Blessing Barn, go to the Crisis Center downtown, go to the happy place in Northbridge. What are we doing? We're imitating Jesus. We're, we're, making, we're putting our world in, back in order. We're putting our world back in shape. We're bringing light. We're bringing order. We're making it interesting because God is leading us and God is directing us to do it because, because we're imitating the Christ. We're imitating Jesus Christ. We're doing what he did. We're walking the way he walked. And it's so much fun. It's so awesome. And it's so incredible when we begin to do what Jesus, just by imitating Jesus and say, that's how we're doing it. See, here's the thing, and this, this is a fact. This is an absolute fact. No one before Jesus was able to flawlessly execute 
a beautiful and productive life. Now, many people executed a beautiful and productive life. Solomon, Abraham, other people. But they weren't able to do it flawlessly. You, you, ever, you know, you go watch, a, you watch the Olympics and you see a, guy, a person do a routine. and They do it flawlessly. Jesus was the first one who did it flawlessly. Abraham did good, but he lied. Isaac failed as a parent. Uh, Joseph saved Egypt, but if you ever really look, and I'm not going to drill down into it right now and take the time to do that, but if you ever look at how he solved the problem of the famine in Egypt, it ended up being a very oppressive solution. Everybody had their land taken away from them. And now Pharaoh owned everybody's land. Moses got himself disqualified from being in the promised land through poor anger management. Right? And he, before that, he killed a guy. Uh, King David impregnated a married woman and arranged for her husband to be killed. Other than that, he was a good guy. <laughs> Solomon multiplied wives and concubines and brought devastating idolatry into, the, into his country. But against all odds, Jesus pulled off the human being experiment perfectly. He nailed it. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus was a moralist. He wasn't trying to earn the favor of God by being his. That wasn't his deal. He was a way maker who showed his life as such a way to show. He showed that his life was a way to live that is truly free from the tyranny of disorder and discontentment and ultimately self-destructive ways. You see, I'm not. Then one thing you got to hear in this series and this today is just an introduction to the series. You may at times think I'm being a moralist. If I were a moralist, I would sing, you better not pout, you better not cry, you better watch out. I'm telling you why Jesus Christ is coming to town. <laughs> or if I were the other thing that the church has, which is, and I, maybe I'll explain this better later, but if I were a salvation club president, which is what some churches are, I would simply say, go live miserably and destructively but don't forget, uh, you're covered by the blood of Jesus. Don't forget that, like we used to have when I grew up, we had these storm shelters in the yard, in a lot of our yards. Don't forget that over the corner of the yard is a storm shelter that will save you from the storm that's coming on the world. But because I believe Jesus, see, I believe Jesus is a way to both escape the fires of hell that are burning in your life now, and the fires of hell that are waiting in the netherworld. I believe Jesus is salvation for both. So I'm neither a moralist or I'm neither someone who just says, here's some blood for your sins. See you in heaven. Do you really? God's got something better than that for us, folks. I'm here to offer Jesus first of all as a present path and a contemporary hope to the most satisfying and rewarding mortal life possible. I said, I'm here to offer Jesus, first of all, as a present path and contemporary hope to the most satisfying and rewarding mortal life possible. 1 Peter 2.21, this is the kind of life you've been invited into, the kind of life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so you would know that it could be done and also how to do it step by step. 
or Romans 8.10, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead, or Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Now, if you stop reading right there, which many people do, you might think only of your ultimate bodily resurrection. Yeah, Christ's going to quicken my mortal body. When I, they put me in the ground or cremate me, whatever, my body is going to be quickened. But you've got to read the next verse, verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. So go back and look at, uh, look at the verse, eight, uh, verse 10 again. And Christ lives within you. And, and then verse 11, I believe it's verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And then the next verse, and just as God raised Jesus Christ and that he will give life to your mortal bodies, that must mean he's going to give life to your mortal body now. That must mean he wants to inspire you today and live within you and come alive. See, some Christians uh, only read the Bible to discover a belief system. You know what I mean? And yes, the scripture's there to shape our beliefs, but beliefs... But belief-only people often like to argue about stuff they believe. But if you really want the Bible to come alive for you, look at the Bible for the story it's telling. Look for the, look at, read the Bible for the behavioral system it's giving you and start living in the stories in the Bible and start living in the characters of the Bible. Now, this is not a small thing. This is a huge thing. That if you will start living in the characters of the Bible, if you've never done it, I'm telling you, I can't think of anything that I could tell you today that will more radically change your life than if you begin to live the stories and characters of the Bible. Uh, someone, uh, I talked to someone recently whose marriage is in crisis. Serious, serious crisis. And somehow in our conversation, they begin to talk to me about their spouse coming to Christ previously and their spouse having their sins forgiven. And they begin to talk for some reason, not sure why this connection was being made, but they begin to talk about how much Christ suffered, how much Christ suffered to forgive their spouse of, their, of, of sins. And this thought came to me as I'm talking. And uh, as I'm talking to this person, this thought came to me. Suggest to them that they begin to live the story of Christ's suffering themselves. And I did. I said, listen, I got a suggestion for you. You just talked to me about how much Christ suffered. How about if you start living in the story of the cross? in this really painful time in your life? How about if you start suffering the way Jesus suffered? People aren't really excited. They didn't get really excited. I mean, I'm going to talk about suffering more in another sermon. But I think they got it, and I think they appreciated it. Because I began to talk to them about the things that Jesus did on the cross. 
We say, oh, that, the cross, that's where Jesus bought my salvation. And so I'm glad he got to live that story. That's great. Go, you go, Jesus. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not Christ with me. Paul said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his suffering. I'm telling you, it will be one of the most transformational things you could do if you'll begin to live the story of Jesus. Begin to put yourself in the story and begin to live those stories and begin to use them as these powerful, powerful metaphors for how you live your life. And that's how, in a nutshell, we're going to get, drill down more on this. That's in a nutshell how the power of Christ comes alive in you. The power of Christ just doesn't just come alive in you in a prayer meeting. The power of Christ comes alive in you when you get the record out and you go, okay, this is what Jesus would say. Jesus would say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So I'm going to run over here. Play the piano. No, I'm going to go, Father. Oh, I can't say it. Oh, I got to go read it. I got to hear it again. Father, forgive them. They, uh, okay, Father, I forgive them. They know not what they did. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to end up in this in a few minutes talking about the, the fear of hypocrisy that we have. But, uh, you know, there's a great big theological word called propitiation. Propitiation, it means that Jesus was our sacrifice. And theologians say the sacrifice of Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. And I agree with them. I do. But Jesus, I just want to give you a couple of words for you to remember. Jesus was not merely our propitiation. He was our paradigm. I said Jesus was not merely our propitiation. He was that. He's our paradigm. So let me quickly, the next two points I'm going to breeze through really quickly. Talked about. I've tried to impress on you that, that following Jesus is very attractive, but I want to I want to tell you also that it's attainable. He said, "I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ, and so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead." Somehow is a very important word. <laughs> somehow. We don't really know how. Exactly how this is going to happen. But somehow it's going to happen. Uh, it happens when we imitate Jesus as a journey of knowledge and application. So we look at Jesus' life and we begin to imitate him as a journey of application. It's, it's kind of, in fact, a perfect illustration is going to school. And uh, if you're in the second grade and you take a test and you make 100, you're perfect. Because one of the things you're going to worry about, well, I, I don't know if I can be completely like Jesus. Well, you're, you're not asked to be completely like Jesus. That's not the point here today. You're being asked to pass the grade you're in. You're being asked to apply Jesus where you are in your life right now. And if you're in the second grade and you take a test and made 100, you're perfect. But a kindergartner would fail that test, most likely. And 
if you're in the sixth grade, you take a test, you make 100, you're perfect. If you're in the ninth grade, you take, but they're, they're different tests, right? Because they're different places in the school. And so the point today is not you'll be, arrive at a place of sinless perfection, but the point today is you pass the test you're taking in the way Jesus would pass it. That's all you got to focus on. All you got to focus on is what is in front of you. Imitating Jesus is attainable, if you understand that. Imitating Jesus is finally reasonable. New Agers speak of developing an altered consciousness of one's divinity to the point that there's no objective reality. You say, what does that mean? They don't know either. But it sounds really sophisticated to say, I'm going to reach the point of no objective reality. Buddhism reaches for a state called nirvana, which is the blowing out of the flame of desire. Good luck with that one. Muslims believe that giving up one's life for Allah is a sure way of entering paradise. Not only are Christians the only ones who believe in a loving and approachable God, we're the only ones who can simply show that being like Jesus is so reasonable. You know why it's reasonable? Because we're not interested in imitating Christ to gain acceptance and favor. That's not why we do it. I've already got that. The Christian life begins with favor. It begins with acceptance. It begins with grace. The Christian life doesn't begin with a big do. It begins with a big done. Jesus said it's finished. Because God is reasonable. He knows we're dust. He knows that we're weak. He's not imposing a law on us. He's imposing a, he's, he's offering a solution to us. Amen? We're interested in imitating Christ because it's a constructive and joyful way to live. Amen? It's a constructive and joyful way to live. You got to do something with your life. You're going to do something. You're either going to build things up or destroy things. You're either going to be kind or you're going to be unkind. You're either going to be loving or unloving. You're, going to, you're either going to be wise or you're going to be foolish. You might as well be kind and loving and wise. It doesn't take much more energy to be kind and loving and wise and productive. It, does, it takes a little more energy, but it, takes, it doesn't take much more energy to be good as it is to be dysfunctional. We are interested in a transformation we, we are interested, this is important, we're interested in a transformation, not just a salvation transaction. We realize that a fundamental problem with personal holiness is our own ignorance and stupidity. We don't know what to do. Most of us want to be good people. Not everyone, but most of us, some people don't want to be good, but most of us do. Buddhism, by the way, which is the closest thing to Christianity, in its approach to inner peace anyway, is founded by a leader who abandoned his wife and children to per pursue self-actualization. And most of us are horrified by that, as we should be. Jesus never did anything like that. Okay, you might say to me, Pastor, if I change and act in a way that's not consistent with how I really feel, if Jesus forgave, 
And I just forgive because he did, but I don't feel it. Does that make me a hypocrite? Well, that depends. That just all depends. It depends on what you desire. If you want to demonstrate and channel Jesus to the world around you. Or if you, if you want to do that, or, or let's say that you don't want to. If you don't want to demonstrate and channel Jesus to the world around you. If you don't want to spread truth. If you don't want to spread love. If you really want to be a problem. And you want to create difficulty and make things more confusing and complicated. If that's what you want, then you're a hypocrite for saying, I want to follow Jesus. And don't be naive. There are people in this world who want to hurt and want to do damage. And they want to dominate as many people as they can. And if you're one of those people like that, or at least you don't care, yeah, you come across. And if you start, if you start to pretending you're like Jesus... When you really want to hurt people and you really want to do damage, yet you are a hypocrite. But if you really want to be free of your own addictions and your own dysfunction and pain, and you want others to be free, if you really want the world to be a good place and you want there to be peace, then not only are you not a hypocrite, you're one of the most courageous people that I know. To challenge your own sinfulness and to challenge your own weaknesses and to go against what you feel, to go against what you want, to going against what you feel doesn't make you a hypocrite. It means you're noble. It means you're courageous. In fact, Jesus set the example. I'm so glad that this was in the Bible. I'm so glad we don't get to the last part of Matthew and find out that Jesus was really excited about going to the cross. I'm glad that Jesus didn't go to the Garden of Gethsemane and say, guys, I can't wait. Start the nails. Can't wait for that crown of thorns. Come on. Give me the crown of thorns. I can't. This is, this is the most amazing day of my life. I can't wait. I can't wait to bleed and suffer. I can't wait. No, no, no. Jesus said, no. He said, this sweat became as great drops of blood. And, and some people believe that this capillaries literally burst in his forehead. And it really was blood that was streaming down his face. He was so stressed about what he was about to go through. That's what it's like to be like Jesus. That's what it's like to be like Jesus. It's to enter that suffering just the way he did. Saying, no, I don't. Father, I don't want to do this. Would you please let this pass from me? Nevertheless. Not my will, but thine be done. So the very concept of Christ-likeness in the most profound way that I become an imitator is when I say to the depths of my soul, I don't feel like doing this, but let's roll. Let's do it. Somehow your power is going to be there miraculously, and that's how you're going to discover the amazing, energizing power of the Holy Ghost when you don't feel like it, and it's not within your desires, but, it, you, but you do have this higher desire is you want something more. They've actually done psychological studies where people were told to do things that were physically painful, and they psychologically found out that when they would give them money, their pain was less. They're playing literally, they registered less pain if they had a financial reward for going through it. The Bible says that Jesus despised the shame, 
despised the cross, but for the joy that was set before him. I want you to know we're on our way to the best results that your earthly life could ever have by being imitators of Jesus Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for your people. Some, some are in a struggle right now, and they're in a battle, and they need another believer to lay hands on them. They need a hug from somebody who says, hang in there, brother, hang in there, sister. It's going to be okay. Jesus went this way before you. You're going to have his results because you're going to follow him and you're going to imitate him. I pray you will bless those people with a special dispensation of grace today as they come forward to be prayed for. And I pray for that person here today who has never become a follower of Jesus, never become, never, re, never realized, they never made that decision to become an imitator of Christ. I pray, God, that that person will come forward today and receive the love of Jesus and receive Jesus as our Savior, no strings attached. We receive Him as our personal Savior and Lord. And then out of our love for Him, we follow Him and we imitate Him. In Jesus' name, amen.